Welcome, fellow Gooners, and welcome to another episode of Canon Talk. I'm yours, morning, and my co-host as usual, Aiden. How's it, guys? The Gunners with a controlled performance from start to finish, or somewhat controlled performance. I thought Arsenal gave a very good account of themselves, especially since, you know, Mikel Arteta surprised me a bit, starting with a very inexperienced, I wouldn't say a weakened team, but a very inexperienced team. I mean, there's also now a welcome return for Socrates, who's been, you know, laid low with an illness. Uh, Gwendozi came in the squad again. Willock came in for Ozil. Uh, Eden Ketia made a bow. I mean, I was actually a bit, I don't know if I, if I was messaging you or internally. No, you didn't. You didn't. It must have been internally. I don't think yeah. it's something you would have probably broadcasted. I was having like a sort of uneasy feeling, but okay, you know, Gunnar's a Gunnar. Uh, and then, of course, Martin is coming in for Leno. Um, you know, I was not thinking with this game, the sort, the sort of onslaught we were getting from the Premier League Bournemouth side. But it's almost like they were very much, you know, playing within themselves. Uh, I was actually really surprised because you could even hear after about three or four minutes, the crowd was starting to also get on their back because they were lo- not only losing ball, but they were just sitting deep and, you know, allowing Arsenal to come at them. And I mean, Arsenal did not need also second invites for, to attack. It, it wasn't too early. Like, you know, you mentioned third, fourth minute and fifth minute. Saka, you know, with a with a brilliant strike, not to mention the lovely build-up, actually, that was involved. I think it was Joe Willock who played the ball into, was it Martinelli, who then fed um, Saka to smash that, that, that brilliant goal of his. Yeah, I mean, the, the, it reminded you of the old Arsenal, because it took about 22 passes from one side of the pitch to the other, you know, with that free-flowing type of football. And I mean, the more... Born with just backing off, it just you know, open the door to us. And I mean, as you said, what a goal by Saka! You know, he, you know, you just it was like wellied it into the top top of the net. Fantastic strike, one 0 Arsenal. You know, I I really felt that you know Arsenal needed to push on because we've seen oh, like these previous games where Arsenal take a lead, and it's like they under Arteta, I think for most of these games actually we've. I think barring maybe the Chelsea game, which we drew, he's taken the lead almost in the game. And then, you know, we don't capitalize on that second goal. And I was just thinking to myself, you know, we need the second goal to come from somewhere because we were playing really strong against a, a Premier League Bournemouth side who actually played a stronger team than we would have expected due to them struggling in the Premier League. And I mean, it's the same way you and I have been discussing the past few weeks about us forcing our, our our style of football on other teams. And I mean, we actually did because even by the time Bournemouth were trying to, you know, almost like shake off this, this is sort of overpowering football of ours. We were not giving them that space. We we're not giving them any, you know, time to do anything much because everything was being closed down. And for me, you know, sometimes I can, as much as I like Willock, sometimes I can also be very critical of him. But for me, what I liked was... Um, you know, seeing him now in because look, we've now been used to seeing Ozil in this role in the in midfield, and, but they actually have players in midfield now, like even Guedosi and and now as I said, Willock also. You actually saw that movement and pressing, so it was almost like for the full, even forty-five, it was constant pressing, running, you know, running to spaces, stuff like that. So everybody was getting involved, and it was like everything was free flowing, you know, just bringing back you know old memories. You know, Joe Wallach, you know, for me also had a particularly had a really good match. And I think, I hope maybe under Arteta he gets a bit more playing time mm. because he's he's very strong on the ball. 
and he was involved with a lot of the build-up, and he actually was driving us forward. I'm not saying, you know, he, he's, he's better than a Mesut Ozil or whatever, but, you know, his, his all-round gameplay, he contributed to so much in this game against Bournemouth, which is away from home, which sometimes you need that bit of extra legs in midfield. And, you know, what is actually becoming positive for us, but also at times, like, you know, in a good way, uh, scary, is now seeing Saka really growing into this sort of, um, almost like a wing-back role, because, he, you know, he's allowed to get more freedom now, you know, going down the flanks and stuff like that. And and now it's almost like there is always this sort of cover for him. He knows, you know, sometimes whether it's, like, say, Xhaka playing or, or you know, even now, they're always covering his backside there. So if he does go on a, a you know, a, a bombarding run forward, he can, he does know, you know, I've got that safety net of somebody behind me to protect me. Uh- I think it's probably the Arteta way of playing that he learned under Guardiola because Guardiola likes his wing-backs to push forward and have, play with a lot of freedom. But that always means that the midfielders need to slot in as a third centre-back and almost like spread the back line so that if there is a counter, the the, the guy that's you know, out of position doesn't get hurt too much. And that's what we see almost at Fernandinho role that Xhaka does now when he slots in as that footman. And it works because I think Football's evolved almost now to where your wingers can win you games. You see how strong Liverpool is with Robertson and Alexander-Arnold. And I mean, you know, Man City also for a long time like to use their wingbacks to cause havoc. And I mean, it's just for me also a joy not to watch. Just the way, look, it becomes also like a cat and mouse. But you, you do see like when we're attacking, Xhaka will push up alongside uh, Guendouzi in midfield. The minute we have to be on the back foot, in the time that it takes Saka to run back, Granit Xhaka is already, you know, sprinting himself into that, almost like a left-back or a left-centre-back position. So you already have, like, a, a shielding three in that uh, defence again. And, and, you know, I must also give Granit Xhaka, um, you know, hats off to Granit Xhaka. He was looking at the play that was out the door at Arsenal. Yeah. And I think, you know, Mikel Arteta stayed true to his word. I mean, even Mustafi at the moment is... I know he made that horrific error against Chelsea, but I mean his, his overall game has been relatively okay. Um, yes, Arteta yeah, did say degree bounce back, yeah, about the performance wise. Yeah, so so Arteta for me, like he really did give everybody a fair fair opportunity. Um, you know, and then with with regards to the game, more the game more on in that second half, the crowd started, you know, uh, getting. Even heavier on the, on the players' back because the, almost like the minute they were about to cross the halfway line, Bournemouth all of a sudden go back in the shells again and start playing the ball back to the the keeper. And it, it's only that that sense that we had also in the latter period or of Emery and and that, that you know little parts of of the Freddie Lindbergh period and it was even a bit of that where we almost like too overcautious. And I think this was also going down to the, the path that Bournemouth were heading to. And I mean, from that, you know, overcautiousness, it was like came to bite him on the backside as well, because in that time, Arsenal just started, you know, plugging their people even further up the field, you know, almost like a type of straggle type of press. And I mean, then that, the, the, the second goal came where Saka then crossed and Ketia, I think uh, Martinelli somehow missed the ball, but I mean, in a way, it was a good way of doing it. And then uh, Eden Ketia comes and darts in and pokes the ball on 2 0 Arsenal. And and VAR almost, you know, ruined that moment. It was like they were looking. It's like VAR looks at 
it's getting a bit annoying. I don't know how it is in the Bundesliga because I haven't really like watched much Bundesliga lately. But how is the VAR? I mean, the World Cup it seemed to have worked fine because it's like after every goal almost that VAR is like going to look check it. No, I mean what what uh, my biggest annoyance with VAR at the moment is uh, like certain teams you'll see them show a straight replay, don't go in depth, and that's the call. This goal of, of, of Nketiah, they started to bring all these little other extras in, that little yellow marker and all that. And I'm thinking, why are they, do- like, you know, why are they doing this? And I mean, it's, it's eating up even more time of the actual like, you know, game time. The crowd were getting frustrated already. And I thought to myself, how overdramatic are you getting? And surely, if, if that ref had not gone to the, the monitor, you're going to see it yourself. And you, um, I mean, you, you're grown enough and experienced enough to know what the decision, the right decision was anyway. You don't need all this extra, uh, you know, all these little extras. It's, it's, a, it's become a joke, almost like farcical at times. They're trying to be too accurate. I'm not saying they're not yeah. to be accurate, but they're trying to be like too technical. I mean, you're, I'm sure if the guy didn't cut his fingernails, they would have said yeah. no, he's offside by a fingernail. But it, I mean, you like you said, you use common sense. You as the ref, look at the, the board or even the linesman as he calls it. And then you say, okay, goal, no goal. And I mean, Look, everybody, of course, has their own opinion on the matter. But, I mean, for me, call me old school, but, I mean, I'm somebody, you know, you have to have that, that some sort of human error. I mean, you can't have, like, either you do that, you know, where you go, you go back to having that, that odd bits of human error, or you do it the same way. I mean, I don't know if any of our listeners watch cricket or, or stuff like it. We you can have a sort of, uh, like, what's it, the review system, where each team gets maybe two or three, and you can call it quiz. I don't know if you noticed, did you notice, uh, or any of our listeners also see, when, when the team is, you know, chasing the game, any little decision that everybody's around the ref. And yes. you're never going to get, because now all of a sudden the ref has made probably one decision, and he's like probably, say, 80, 85% sure. And then all these people surrounding him is going to start putting that seed of doubt in, and then all of a sudden, you know, come, you know, I'd rather go check it again. But then, of course, he doesn't check it. The final decision gets made by somebody in a studio miles away. Yeah, because, I mean, you know, in cricket, they have that umpire's decision where, for those listeners who listen, where, you know, if it's a marginal call, like, either way, the umpire then sticks to his call unless he gets it audibly wrong. And I think that's what it should be. The ref should have a look at it. And then he makes a decision. And like you said, Give each team three, three, three reviews each, or two reviews. If they get it wrong, they lose it. And if they run out of reviews and they could have had a correct goal, then, you know, so be it. Be part and parcel of the game. Yeah, because then, I mean, you put that thing to bed and, and you're not going to have that thing as a constant distraction. Because I've got the feeling, okay, it might not happen now, but maybe if it, uh, it could be a World Cup or a Champions League where something like this is going to go so horribly wrong where, you know, the error is being made. With all that top technology, the is going to be made in that studio, and it's going to cost somebody either a job or you know something like a chance of a trophy. And yeah, uh, like you see, they're just trying to be too perfect. Mm. So you know, back to the game. Thirty-eighth minute. That was when Bournemouth are finally kind of snapped out of the zombie phase, and you know, really started playing, knocking the ball around, started playing a more of a possession game. You know, almost like really putting up a fight now finally and I mean you, the crowd was a sense that the crowd started getting louder and, and all of a sudden Arsenal were I wouldn't say slacking off because there were still periods where we were controlling the game so of course they were having random 
you know, like pot shots at the goal eventually. But I mean, other than that, Arsenal were kind of controlling that game. Yeah, like I said in the start, you know, control the game you know, for the, from start to finish. But it's almost like they they got that second goal, which they needed. Yeah. And then it was almost like putting a car in cruise control and was just, you know, coasting along you know, to, to, to halftime. And you would think that I was hoping, you know, at half, after halftime that they would have come out the blocks flying to add a third and fourth, which we haven't really seen lately. I think we're like, uh, you know, switching out attention out to the second half. It was more based on just having control, or like you know, taking off because the way uh, Bournemouth came out second half, they did come out kind of flying because they were getting also physical in our faces and and probably told by Eddie Howe, you know, get on their toes because I mean there were a lot of things that was happening also off the ball every time we were playing off or laying off a pass, our guys got clattered off the ball. So I think that was probably one of the markers that Eddie was setting for them, like going in the second half. Yeah, we did get quite abused in that game, and, and like for me, the, the the only blemish, like you know, going to the second half was Mustafi picking up that injury because I felt he did really well. I think it was his pass as well that led to the goal of Nketiah, where he held the ball and played it, spread it out wide towards Saka. So it was very unfortunate because he was really having a good game and he's like I said earlier he's having a good time really under under Arteta so it was a bit of a pity that he picked up that knock yeah because I mean it, it did look bad because when you saw the way he landed you could see he was already leaning forward and by the the way his foot was almost like being jammed into the pitch with a, almost like a straight leg so it was almost like he was putting extra strain on the ankle and as well as the Achilles because I actually was more worried about that Achilles snapping because I mean it was a hell of a lot of tension when you saw the slow mo pick of his leg. I'm surprised uh, they didn't VAR to see if he was really injured or not. Sixty <laughs> mm. <laughs> uh, eighth minute, uh, Martinez started. I don't know what came over. Maybe it was that you know be doing almost nothing at first off, but all of a sudden he was coming out for corners and stuff. And getting totally under the ball or mistiming the total flight of the ball, and I mean, it, it became at times at times calamitous, you know, the way it was playing out. Because I thought to myself, you need to kind of also impress Arteta, and I mean, you're making these sort of errors now, and you, you know, your your uh, concentration should be on point. Yeah, like he. From the start of the season till now, it seems like he's slowly starting to, you know, that number two spot. You know, even other keeper comes in there, could if could actually dispossess his place, and then you know he falls back into the down the picking order where he once was. Yeah, because I'm in my mind. Look, I watch roughly over a weekend most of the games, and there are a couple of keepers keepers that have even caught my eye as say a number two to Leno is um the, the Pope. Yes. Uh, Okay, the one guy, of course, I know we can't get, but uh, somebody that's also impressed me I love a lot is that uh, Sheffield United keeper, Henderson, who's a United Yes, player. definitely. Definitely, right? he's been he, good. I believe he will be now the number two for them next season or, you know, fight, fighting it out with uh, David De Gea with a, a goalkeeper spot. But, I mean, he is also the type of goalkeeper that I wouldn't mind also as a, a backup to Leno. Yeah, I, I actually think... Um, Martinez, at the end of the season, I think we should, like, he, I know that sounds harsh, but maybe we should, you know, let him go, like, and bring in somebody maybe a bit younger, and that seems more, showing more promise. And I mean, look, he's had a crack, I mean, he's like 27 now, he's been at the club, I don't know how many years, and I mean, he's not shown 
the sort of performance that you can almost like depose the number one. Because I mean, you're actually looking for a goalie that that you know can pull out all the stops as you know, roughly everything to his game. We can like depose the number one, but I mean, uh, you know, and or not, I don't like to see it coming from him really. Yeah, and 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 fortunately for Arsenal, you know, we we got that second goal in this game because, like you said, Bournemouth was coming with at us, but had we not gotten that second goal, you know, things could have been very different for Arsenal because I mean we conceded very late on in the injury time. What was it, ninety third minute? Ninety fourth out of ninety fourth. Yeah, wasn't that eight minutes added on time? Oh yeah, sorry, sorry, yeah, I know so many injury time <laughs> <laughs> chunks. Could have been. Yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, it was very close. And then Martinez, when you're speaking about getting under the ball, like they equalized. And then, you know, late on in injury time, he came out and mispunched the ball to one of the Bournemouth players who luckily struck the ball over the poles. And I was thinking to myself, what are you doing? Why? <laughs> you know, when that scene played out, <laughs> I wasn't even looking at the player. I wasn't even looking at the keeper. My eyes went immediately to the net because I was thinking, am I going to see that net bulging again? Like, like that Sheffield United game where... One minute you're watching us dominate the game, the next minute you see it, I'm like a, a hit and hope shot, and you look and you see the ball <laughs> the side inside netting. So yeah, it it was a bit nerve-wracking the last even two minutes of the game. Um, now we switch our attention to the early game on Sunday against Burnley at Turf Moor, thirteenth uh, versus tenth. It's gonna be a tough game. Yeah, Turf Moor is never an easy place to go, Burnley. Play extremely difficult band of football. This is going to be a big test for Arteta because they don't play your conventional passing game. They, you know, come there with those long balls, Stoke City style. And I mean, they did beat um, Man United at Old Trafford. So, you know, they're flying high at the moment as well. Yeah, and I mean, they play a brand of football where they pepper your center back <laughs> with full 90. And I mean, you've got somebody like that, Chris Wood, who's, you know, he's like a battering ram for them. He normally. Is the one challenging, uh, you know, for the eyeballs, like when they, when they switch to route one. And he's also the, the, the option for them when they need to lay the ball down for the, you know, the people like Hendricks and them to get the ball on the on the pitch and knock the ball around. It's going to be a few selection headaches, though, for Mikael Arteta. I mean, Abameyan comes back. Would yeah. you drop Pepe, like I said, Martinelli? And do you drop Martinelli because he's the 18 year old youngster because for me I think he should stay in that squad I mean that front three at the moment it's between Lacazette and Pepe to decide who is going to take the fall I don't know but I mean as much as, as, as Pepe has showed improvement I still think Lacazette still is I mean for me it seems like something needs to click for him to explode but because at times he's too predictable when you watch him play like uh, Pepe you know because it's like you know he wants to come inside, and and I've noticed now a few games now. Okay, sometimes he, he can get away with it, but there's been games where you can actually see the defender they cutting off that channel to to cut inside, and they're almost like urging him to go outside because they know he's not going to deliver an inch perfect ball with his, with his right foot. You, you know, it's a big problem for me, and you know, no disrespect to Pepe, obviously he's a quality footballer, but how Arsenal could have. You know, the, the scouts or whoever okayed the deal was to get somebody so one-footed, like so predictable. I mean, they could have rather than spent a bit extra and gone for Wilfred Zaha, who, you know, isn't at moment at the moment having the most consistent season, but he's very, like, he can take a game to you. And Pepe, you know, 
a top defender is just going to usher Pepe onto his weaker foot because they know he's going to want to cut inside. It's not like Arian Robin who yeah, yeah, knows the cut inside, but he's going to... Bring up that now because what I used to like of, of Robin or if you watch, uh, say, Kingsley Coleman or you watch uh, Douglas Costa, I'm just talking about like random wingers now. When you watch them, when they, they're, they're going to destroy you, they're going to cut inside. But what they also have to the game is when they go wide of you, you know there's going to be one of that flow, almost like a loopy type of cross that comes in, but you know it's going to be, you know, almost like on the money. And look, Robin is somebody you normally would float that ball in for somebody like Lewandowski to come power in with a header, or uh, Douglas Costa now as or had, like, say, Manzukic back in the day, or like with Ronaldo now. So you need that sort of, you know, winger that can, you know, tweak it, as you know, said, like, in the example of Zaha, because he's somebody... He might be a natural right footer, but he can also punish you with that left foot if he needs to. Exactly, and I just feel that, you know, Saka is starting to show that kind of promise. You know, that's what we're looking for, that can play that final ball, because even when he plays those crosses, he tries to arc the ball so that the defender, like it goes almost behind the defender, but like in front for the striker just to nod onto. So, you know, maybe Saka could be good. What does impress me of of, of Saka's... um... You know, his mentality and his, his, his nous, as we normally say, is that he knows when he must smash the ball across the box for it, like to take some sort of deflection to, or to reach the play on the far post or somebody's, you know, going to stab it in at the near post. And he also knows exactly now when to just hit that looping crosses. Because, I mean, there's been uh, like that game at it. Uh, which game was it now? Was it one when he set up? Was it... I'm not sure if it's now that. The Chelsea game or the no, not Chelsea game. Sheffield United game when he looped it for and took the deflection for Martinelli. Yeah, something like that. Now you see that is where the sort of thing. Even like he knew, I must just see that the ball gets to Martinelli. Whether it's gonna flick off somebody or whether it comes off straight from off my boot. Oh, that's where I want the ball, and that is the sort of vision. Now, I mean, he's gonna have a hell of a future that guy. And I'm not, if I'm not mistaken, isn't he like a top assister or he's quite high up there with, with the assist? And I mean, he doesn't take corners or free kicks, so it just shows in open play, he makes a hell of a lot happen. And, you know, maybe a player like him could be key to unlocking a team like Burnley, who's going to be very stubborn and tough to break down. And I mean, look, Sean Dyche is also now a manager that has now a squad of, you know, where they go from goalkeeper to the guy up front. It's a squad of grafters, so, you know, it's going to be a scrap on Sunday. Um, I think that you can also have to go toe-to-toe with him in that sense because I'm just not sure if, say, somebody like Ozil is up to this sort of battle and then with this sort of scrap. Because uh, if you think of that, that last few away games also that we've had, like even at that uh, Bournemouth game where Ozil almost like just got overrun in that midfield just because he was not getting himself about and, you know, in the, in the, the Premier League game when we did 1-1, where he was just not getting himself about and being overrun by that Lewis Cook in, in midfield. Yeah, uh, like you said, Burnley away, you need the graft because you're going to have to you know, put the sweat and tears into yeah. the type of game because, you know, Burnley, if they smell you know, weakness, they can punish you at, at the at turf more and that crowd also gets on your back. So it's going to be a very tough game. Like I said, Oteta has some selection headaches. Who's he going to play in the midfield? His, his defense, like you know, it's it's all it's a lot. It's gonna, I wouldn't want to be in his position right now. It's a good position to be, but you know, there's a lot of selection headaches that he has to decide on. And I mean, they didn't even break much of a sweat against United. I mean, I don't know if you watched the game, but um, it was 
total domination. And by the time they took their foot off the gas, it was almost like just to let United get some sort of position, but, you know, not really to breach the, the defense much. Yeah, just so, like, you know, Arsenal, they want to be starting on the back foot. And I think this mm-hmm. is one of those games where you need to also put that second goal in if it comes your way. Yeah, so, you know, that's not the end of the two games that we're now discussing. Uh, we now switch our attention to the talking points and transfer news. Um, as most of you guys would have heard, that Pablo Marie, that deal is now official. Uh, he comes from, what was it, Flamengo or was it Fluminense? Because sometimes I always get confused with these things. I, 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 I think it could be Flamingo. Flamingo, yeah. So, you know, he comes in on a, probably a first uh, a loan deal, off-season loan, with the option to buy. So, you know, it doesn't leave us really that much, you know, to lose. Not all, you know, a real risk, as you were saying earlier on. Um, and then also there's talk of that Cedric Suarez, that deal being also wrapped up over the next probably day since the window closed tomorrow night at 11 here in Europe. So um, it's going to be interesting how that's going to play out because, look, Cedric Suarez, I just remember him really from um, Euro, what was it, 2016 or was it when they won with Portugal? 2016, yeah. And, of course, I was, the thing I remember always of him is he's always been a headache when he played against them. Because, <laughs> I mean, he, he normally, even though he's a right back, sometimes he can push so far forward your attacking players has to defend and almost like nullifies any sort of attack option that, that we would have against him when he was at now at the Saints. Because uh, talk was this, this morning, this afternoon, when um, the Southampton ma- manager at Hasnuto, uh when they were asking now, you know, press, of course, trying to fish out what's the deal. So he said also already there, um, he's not in the squad. I mean, of course, he does have some sort of injury to his ankle, I believe. But also... He's not really planning with him in the future. So it does say, you know, the exit is, you know, almost like just about there for him. For Cedric Suarez. Is that going to be a loan deal or is that going to be, a, do you think, a permanent? Um, Cedric Suarez, that is a loan deal and then he's a free agent in June. So that will give us also the option to, and I think we have uh, first choice to, to buy him also. That's good. It's a good ploy to do those loan signings because I think you know if it doesn't work out, you have that you can still cut ties with the play. It doesn't like stay on your book, so it's kind of a, a risk-free bet at the moment. But um, you know you 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 hope it pays off. I just we could have a so what is it seven centre backs at the moment if should like with the Pablo Marie signing. And then, of course, the, the other news was also breaking the last, I think, day and a half or so. was also with Daniel Sevios. Uh, There's also talk that he could have his uh, loan deal actually cut short because Valencia are interested in taking him. Arteta still is trying to, you know, somehow persuade him to stay on. But as I said, I think last week, he, the biggest worry for him is he wants to be in that Spanish squad for Euro 2020. And since he's not getting that sort of game pa- game time is after, it's going to put that, you know, to really jeopardize that. But on the flip side of things, Arteta has also said he's only choosing people that are showing strong uh, performances in training as well. So I don't know how that's going to pan out because my thinking already is knowing now that, that you know, Suarez is almost like going to be almost like knocking on the door to joining. Um, if Ceballos does get his wish granted where he can now leave the club, 
um, if, if Maitland-Niles in, fits into that role as a midfielder, and then you have like Ballerin and Suarez fighting it out for right back. Yeah, that's it sounds a fair, you know, switch in and switch out, but I do, like, am disappointed in, in yeah. um, Sebayos, the way he's handled things as well. I mean, he, he started well, and but maybe that was also an Emery player, maybe Emery wanted him, and like, I, I think Sebayos would fit perfectly in the number 10 role instead of Ozil at times, because he does work off the ball, but he did seem also a bit leggy when he came on against Bournemouth. I'm not sure if that was maybe yeah, because of, also. of of being injured, or because, like you said, is he working not hard enough in training? Because maybe it was a fun ride under Una Emre at training. Because, I mean, look, you know yourself, I mean, we've been watching our Premier League most of our lives, and you know, if you're not, up, like, if you're not hitting the ground running, you're going to almost like be lost at sea because nobody's going to really wait for you, you know? So it's not like, you know, you take it around running or you're out of the door. You know, another thing I wanted to bring up, like, you know, what do you think is the reason for Arteta's lack of goals that we've been scoring under him? Because we haven't really, you know, we've been goal shy the season in general, but we haven't really, you know, you'd have thought there was times we could have scored more than just the two goals we've been normally getting in games or the minimum of one. I just look. I wouldn't really put it on his doorstep. I, my problem is the firepower on our side because at times, look, Lacazette since that return from injury, he looks totally, totally, you know, off his game. Yes, he is doing a hell of a lot of um, you know crafting now, holding the ball up, setting up people, and then of course you've got now us being so ever so de- more dependable on um, Aubameyang with the goals. And uh, look, Martinelli is now also stepped up. He's now contributing. But I just think my take is if everybody can chip in like five to seven goals or five to ten goals, it could help the team immensely because Ozil has like, what, one goal in how many games? <laughs> and That's then, it's, it's quite bad. And you're not getting goals from coming from midfield much. So it's like uh, Guendouzi is not giving you anything. Xhaka is not scoring like he was scoring a season or so ago. Um, Willock just been banging goals like in the Cups but nothing in the league really so you need that sort of input and I mean for me I was actually expecting look we now look Pepe is now with us about what, half a, just over half a season I was expecting already him to be clocking close to double figures already for us you need that from your wider players and it's it's only coming from a bombing and ironically the young Martinelli Who's, who's been bagging in the goals for us, but we don't have that midfielder that's coming in from deep to also, you know, like Fabrica's added, like, you know, at least almost 10 a season. I mean, if your wide players adds 10-10 and your centre-attacking mid adds, like, Lampard and them used to do 10-plus, your striker adds your 15-plus to 20, and then whoever contributes around them, I mean, I think David Luiz of Socrates probably has more goals than some of our midfielders. Yeah, so that's... Frustrating because you know that is also the thing that's, that's also pinning us down because every time you it's almost like you get a slight migraine when you look at the table and you still see we in the minuses with the goals and we have been you know knocking on February's door here already. Question: How how scared are you of Liverpool beating the Invincibles record? Look, I'm <laughs> now sw- swinging to the fences now with the. Or as you say in your betting terms, you know, Hail Mary, but 
Jesus, I'm already trying to look on the on the you know the the fiction list and it, and I'm thinking, where can they come unstuck with? I mean, I don't know. It's they probably the most well-oiled machine I've ever seen. Now, I mean, I've I've watched successful Arsenal teams. I've seen brilliant Man United teams. Uh, sorry to say, I mean, at this rate, look that that you said. You also don't know if, as much as they're just wiping the opposition now, by the time somebody figures Klopp out or figures, or finally that team gets it's, gets sort of injuries, most of us get, like the, the clubs get, <coughs> excuse me, then maybe there will be some sort of free fall or tumble. But, I mean, he, he's done everything to a T. I mean, even the future, if it, I think we spoke about it like three or four podcasts ago where I said, if you look at the, the academy system, that guy is, give them like, uh, I'm not even saying, you don't even need to give them a year, give them half a season. And they're going to be already contenders to play in the first team. And also with, with, with regards to Liverpool, I've never seen a team ride a season. Uh, There's not enough to, to, to criticize them, it's more to give them now props because they don't get injured that much. And if they do get crocked, it's like a couple of weeks and bang, the guy's playing again. Or in that time that the guy is uh, healing up, a guy of that quality or better is slotting in that position. And I think that is where Arsenal are missing at the moment. We, we're having the players injured and it doesn't like you have to sit. You, you can't even just use from the squad. You have to start digging around to see what sort of player can go into that position. Yeah, you know, you hit the nail on the head. Remember Arsenal's title winning sides had that way. If uh, Robert Perez, remember he did his uh, cruciate ligament against Newcastle, I think it was the FA Cup game, yeah. when he was so badly injured. And I mean, he was a, a linchpin in that season. He picked up an injury and someone came in to fill his boots and, you know, we're going to win the League and Cup double that season. So, we don't have that at the moment. If Aubameyang must pick up an injury of that sort, magnitude, we get relegated probably. So, you know, we need to... To find that balance, and like I said, I think I'm banking on Man City to hopefully beat um, Liverpool, or hopefully they're in the Champions League semi-final when they have to play Arsenal, because they know they play us near the end of the season. And I mean, I was looking already at fixture congestion, <laughs> and then when I when I thought okay, they would have something, they still look manageable. Then I had a look at Man United, and I thought, oh my god, I think they play probably I don't know, every few days in February because they've got uh, what was it? It's FA Cup they're playing in this Premier League, Europa League. And I don't know what, uh, there was still some other thing also that, or those three, but I mean, the, the games are, it barely gives them breathing space. So, you know, as a gunner, sorry, a gunner, my biggest concern now is, can we start clocking up the wins? Because it's like, you see that in the distance, you see the, the, the finish line, line for top four, but every time we are tripping ourselves up, we're not even tripping you know, being tripped by other people. We are tripping ourselves up more than anything. And, you know, we are in touching distance because we just need a, some sort of run because one minute you see Sheffield United flying, the next minute you see them, you know, tripping. And it's like, then you think, okay, we we now almost like a win away from them or a point away from them. And then we go screw up again. So, I mean, you know, the, 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 the option is there now for us to gun for it. We are our own worst enemy. That's yeah. the truth. Yeah. Because, I mean, there's too many, you know, as you said now with the, the goal side of things, in the defense thing, that's also another headache for us because we also own worst enemies there because it, it, take, it comes down to individual blunders that is also costing the team. 
Yeah, and we need to iron it out. I mean, you, a lot of the time you look at and you feel sorry for Arteta because you can't, you don't strategize or plan tactically for a back pass like you know what stuff he did, or you know you can't plan for stuff like that. And a red card with David Luiz, like with that back pass happening, it's it's very unfortunate that these individual errors are leading to such ma- massive errors. Like you know the outcome of. But it's massive every time. So, you know, hopefully we can start ironing it out. I also think there's some sort of mental block with us at the moment because we are getting the, like the two goals and then it's like we're not really, you know, pushing on further. Even that when we went 2-0 first half, I thought we would even push up further to go 3 or 4-0 up going into half time. But it, it's like we, we become almost like overcautious or we, we're sitting kind of deep. Because I'm, I'm already, my I, mindset is more thinking down the lines of, I'm looking already for a 3 or 4 no win, or even if it's a 4-1 or 3-1 win. But we need to start getting that goals and also making, you know, the goal difference, start making it better, look better on paper for us now. That's why I mentioned with the goal thing with Arteta. Like, you know, we're not scoring much under him. Is it, is it his tactical thing that, you know, once Arsenal's come to halftime, they try to just hold, hold have what we hold, or they try to eat the teams on the counter, or, or what is his actual plan? Is he like, because it doesn't seem like he's trying to push for that third, fourth, fifth, sixth goal. You know, like under Pep where, or Klopp, where they would kind of... Okay, Klopp, not really. They scored two or three goals and suddenly they just, you know, stop playing afterwards. So maybe he's trying that. Because he has that, you know, a lot of people forget under Klopp, you know, in the beginning stages, they were very good starting strong. They started really strong, but they would tire out at the end because of the high intensity they're playing. But because... They've stuck to club and they, you know, it's been years now that they've been doing this regime under him that actually now they're playing that where they play you off the park from the first minute till the 90th. And let's hope Arsenal can get there. Um, look, as we now round off the podcast for this week, um, due to, you know, work uh, changes and work arrangements with Aiden, uh, the podcast which we normally upload, we actually uh, record and upload on the Saturday we now have to do on a Thursday evening. So what I would do is probably start uploading the podcast up on a Friday morning early so you guys can have it. Um, this will probably be about this sort of change will be only for about two months while this whole procedure goes through with the work thing. Um, as for Arsenal again, uh, they go on what's it, February the 7th to Dubai. That Everything has now been granted, greenlit by the club. Uh, the training camp is in Dubai from 7th to 11th, I believe, of February. And then the next Premier League game is on the 16th against Newcastle at the Emirates. Um, we will not have a podcast next week, I believe, since we're also now going to do this whole break thing. Uh, but we will be back again on about the what's it, 15th, 16th, let me see, the 13th again. After We'll probably do some the Burnley thing. And then after that, we'll have a break. So I hope you guys have a fantastic week. I hope the Gunners can get the job done at Turf Moor. Come on, you Gunners. Let's get that three points. <laughs> <laughs>